I'm, I, I do know that the Lord has laid a few things upon my heart for this evening service, and I just want to share them. Uh, I want to be cognizant of the time. Uh, <clears throat> I also want to be cognizant of the fact that the Word of God is the most important thing in our lives. And, uh, but we're going to get through this uh, as quickly as we can. And uh, how many are just going to stay plugged in, stay focused, and for the next few moments, and we're just going to uh, just uh, see what the Lord would have to say to us. I'm going to need your minds tonight. Kind of think with me through the word of the Lord. We'll just get right into this. But I heard a story the other day of uh, a DEA officer who stopped at a ranch in Texas to search it for illegal drugs. And he walks up to the rancher, tells him what he's there for. He says, I'm here to search your property for legally growing of drugs and the old rancher has no problems with it he's not growing anything so he said no I have no problems come on and but he told the DEA officer he said you can look wherever you want but just don't go into that field over there as soon as those words left the the old rancher's lips the DEA officer just verbally explodes he said mister he said I have the authority of the federal government with me Reaching into his pocket, he removes his badge, and he shoves the badge right into that, that old rancher's face, and he proudly displays it to the rancher, and he says, Do you see this badge? This badge means that I have the power and the ability to go wherever I want, whenever I want. I can walk on any field I want to go on. I can go into any farm I want to go on. I can go anywhere at any time, any place I desire. So this is what this badge, I got the power and authority to do this. This badge should let you know that I don't need your permission. I don't care what you say. I can go where I want to go. Do you understand that? The old rancher says, sure. He apologized and went about his chores. Short time later, the old rancher heard some loud screams. He looks up and he sees the DEA officer running for his life. As he's being chased by the biggest bull in the country. That, he, that the old farmer kept in the field, he told the DEA officer not to go into. With every step that bull was gaining on that DEA officer, he's about to get right to him, and he was about to catch up to him. You could see fear just etched all over the face of this officer, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs. The rancher hears it, drops his tools, runs to the, to the fence, and yells at the top of his lungs and says, You're badge." Show him your badge. <laughs> you see, it's obvious that this was a man who didn't understand the concept of authority very well. He was pretty puffed up and he was pretty prideful about his little badge. But the Lord has been speaking to this church for the last little while concerning this topic of authority. Somebody said amen. He's been speaking to us about this topic of a submitted heart because he wants to make sure that we're not confused about it, about authority and submission. and He wants us to make sure we understand it. I, I told you before, uh, when I first started this, I had no intention of getting this into a series. It just was going to be a lesson. We were going to move on, but God just can deal, begin to deal with us and talk to us and deal with my life. This last, this last Sunday was so powerful. I'm telling you, if you missed Sunday, you missed an unbelievable service. God moved in such a powerful way, and he gave, he gave us as a church opportunities to, to lay our will down and our desires down 
and our thoughts on an altar of sacrifice and allow them to be broken and humbled in God's presence. How many are thankful for it? Now, I don't believe this series is just another topic, but I believe firmly that, and I said this Sunday, let me just say it again, I absolutely believe with all of my heart, I felt it so strong Sunday, this isn't just another series of uh, another topic that we're discussing, but, th- but this through this series that we, God is literally bringing us through a time of testing as a church and refining, and it's, 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 it's like a proving time in this church. And God is looking to see how we as individuals are going to respond. He knows that we've been praying. He knows we've been fasting. He knows that we've been seeking his face for greater outpouring of his spirit and greater uh, greater revival in our church. And and through this series, he's looking for men. He's looking for women. He's looking for teenagers. He's looking for children that, that he can trust enough to use in the end time apostolic revival that he is going to pour out and he has already begun to pour out in our midst. And, and, and he's using this to try to find out who are the ones I can use for what I'm desiring to do. He's not looking for talent. He's looking for a submitted heart. That's what he's looking for. He can Listen, he can raise up a bum under a bridge who can out-preach me any day of the week. He can save a prostitute that can out-sing anybody who has ever set foot on this platform. He can save a band of drug-addicted professional musicians that can outplay anybody who's ever played on any instrument that we have in this building. God does not need us as individuals to carry out His will. He doesn't. He can raise up anybody He chooses in order to accomplish what He desires to accomplish. But God does use mankind. And it's His great desire, Sister Vera, to use us. He doesn't have to use us But he wants to use us. He wants to. He doesn't care about ability, skills, talent, personality. He's looking for somebody that he can trust with authority. Who will deflect all the glory to him when the miracles happen. When the revival comes. When the blessings fall. He's looking for somebody who he can trust enough with authority. Who will just deflect that right to him. Because they know it all belongs to Him. All the glory belongs to Him. All the praise belongs to Him. We discussed Sundays looking for someone who's willing to have their life broken. And their will cut away so that the anointing of God can flow through them. In those those areas and those openings that self-sacrifice has caused in our lives. Submitted heart. Submitted spirit. Submitted will. Submitted mind. A submitted life is what God is looking for. And He's not going to use anything else. Let me show you again. Let's, let's get back into this. I, I want to talk, talk tonight on, on, on this subject. The enemy of submission. The enemy of submission. Let's get into it tonight. Let me show you what the word, what are the Lord and the Spirit of God is speaking to us as a church concerning. Numbers chapter 17 and verse 1. Numbers chapter 17 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and take of every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers. Of all their princes according to the house of their fathers, twelve rods. Write thou every man's name upon his rod. And thou shalt write Aaron's name upon the rod of Levi. For one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. And they shall lay them in the tabernacle of the congregation before the testimony where I will meet with you. 
And it shall come to pass that the man's rod whom I shall choose, it shall blossom. And I will make to cease for me the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. Verse 6. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, and every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece. For each prince one, according to the father's house, even twelve rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of the wilderness. So these twelve leaders of the twelve tribes gives their rod, their staff, to, to the man of God. And he, he brings it into the temple and he lays it there. Verse 7. Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. And it came to pass that on the morrow, on the next day, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded. Buds were coming out of it, and it brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms, and it yielded almonds. And Moses brought out all the rods before the Lord unto all the children of Israel, and they looked and took every man his rod. Great story, powerful story. We don't have time to get into all this. Without getting to all the background of this story, let me just tell you that God was establishing Aaron in the position of authority. He was establishing him in the eyes of all of the people in the position of leadership and authority by causing his rod to bud and bring forth blossoms and even almonds. Out of all those 12 guys, God set him up to be the ruler and the leader in that area. Now understand, here's, what, here's, here's the point. The rods were nothing but old pieces of wood. They're just, they'd been cut, probably those guys that had some of those, their staves and rods for 20 years, 25 years, whatever the case is. But they're just, they're old pieces of wood that had long since been cut down, removed from their uh, life-giving sword. It was, it was like a, it'd be like a, like a hiking stick or something like that that you'd, you'd cut and, and use day after day after day as you're hiking, going about whatever you're doing. It'd be kind of similar to, to that. And so, so here you have this, it, it's been long ago cut away from its life-giving source. And so there's no... No possible way at all that these rods could blossom and give forth fruit overnight. No possible way. So here's the point. When Aaron picked that budding rod up in his hand that signified his authority, there was not a doubt in his mind that it was God that made it happen. It was God that had done it. It was God who had brought it to pass. He was, in fact, I believe he was, Brother Russell, he was just as shocked as everybody else was that it happened to his rod. And once he saw it, he understood right off that it was only God who could have brought that, uh, caused that rod to sprout, and it was only God who would have the ability to put the power of life into a dead, dried-up stick. Therefore, when it happened... It no doubt caused an attitude of humbleness. I'm going somewhere here. An attitude of humbleness and an attitude of submission in the heart of Aaron towards the God who could do a such, such a thing. Think about it. He's grabbing this and it's blooming. It's blossoming. He's had this dead stick for years and all of a sudden it's starting to grow and, and, and almonds are, are coming out on it. And don't you know, it just put him in a position where he was that much more humbled and submissive before a God who could bring life out of something that was so dead. Yes, Aaron is the authority. But when he holds that rod in his hands, he knows that it had absolutely nothing to do with him. 
and everything to do with God. Yes, he's in the position of power, but he understands full well that, that it had nothing to do with his abilities that got him to that place. Nothing at all. Only the foolish and only the prideful will say that they have anything to do with that which only God can perform. Only the foolish clay thinks that it molded itself. And only the prideful man can think that he accomplished anything outside of the help and the strength of God. Only a prideful man. And this is what we're talking about tonight. The New Testament puts it like this, 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Somebody say we're just flesh. We have this treasure, this wonderful, beautiful, glorious treasure in this rotten, stinking flesh. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Those in whom God will use for this great end time revival will be those who understand that the treasure is not us. It's not us. We're not pretty to look at. We're not glorious to look at. We're not grand to look at. The treasure is him. And we are nothing but earthen vessels. The excellency of the power is because of God. And it has nothing to do with us whatsoever. How foolish would I be to think that it had something to do with me. If I preached and someone's life was changed. In me and my flesh. My abilities. How foolish would we, would, we, would we be if we sang a song and someone's heart was touched and we thought it had something to do with our vocal abilities. How prideful would it be for us to teach a class or be involved in a ministry or, or, or show up for a prayer meeting and think we did something when someone received a blessing. It was because of us that this happened. Because of us that this happened. We need to submit ourselves we need to humble ourselves to the place where we understand that all we have to offer, like Aaron's rod, is that which is dead, dried up, cracked, broken, nothing. And if God so chooses to use that which we have given him and causes something good to come out of it, then we will forever know that it was always God and it was never us. We've got to get this understanding. We've got, and I'm not talking just the status quo and the, the ones that just want to stay where you're at. I'm talking to those who want to do something for God and be used by God. We have got to understand that we cannot put ourselves up as I have this ability, God, and I got this talent, God, and I got this, and I got this. We have to understand we are nothing but that which is broken and that which is just cracked and that which is all messed up and dead, and we're just giving it to you, God, because we know if you so choose to use us, we will forever know it's not us at all. 
Hey, when we're doing something and somebody's life has changed and we're holding that rod, that ministry, that talent, that, that skill, that ministry position, whatever, when we're holding that out in our hand and it's blossoming and lives are being touched and changed, we are humbled and our face is on the ground knowing this had nothing to do with me whatsoever because this is a whole lot different than what I gave to God in the first place. And it had to have been God because I couldn't do this by myself. That's the type of people God's looking for. That's who God's looking for. The book describes the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem by saying this. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 9. And the multitudes that went before that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So here you have Jesus riding in on that, that colt. And they're, they're, they're laying palm branches in front of him. And they're crying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. But let us just suppose for a moment that the colt on which Jesus was riding heard those cries of Hosanna and saw those branches being placed in front of them on the road and turns and asks the Lord, is this cry for you or is it for me? Are they laying down branches for you or are they laying down branches for me? For even to question that would have made it quite evident that the colt didn't understand the one who was riding on his back. And as silly as that illustration may seem, we still find many of God's servants who are just as foolish in their thinking because they say the very same for it's a dangerous place to get to the point where you think it's all about you. And everybody should kind of cater to you and pat you on the back and see it like you see it and praise you and give me credit. I'm making any sense tonight. It's a dangerous place to be when you think that church can't happen without you. Or a move of God can't happen unless you're involved in some particular aspect of the service. Unless I'm doing this, I don't know what they're going to do. What do they do when I'm on vacation? They should just close up and not even have church. We need to understand that we are simply carriers of the anointing and not givers of the anointing. We need to understand that we simply carry out God's will. We do not establish God's will. We are allowed to move in God's presence, but we are not allowed to dictate to God's presence. It all comes back to submission to authority. Submission. Somebody said amen. For those in this room who truly desire a submitted heart, I believe there's a lot in this room who do. Allow me to tell you what our biggest hindrance is going to be. The enemy to submission. Let me tell you what it is. The biggest hindrance to submission will be our innate desire to reason. Understand the concept. I need your minds now. The concept of reasoning and that of determining in ourselves that which is right and wrong was a product of the fall of man. When Adam and Eve partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the ability to discern and reason 
left its rightful place, which was in God, and moved to the realm of mankind. All reason and all discernment before that point was found in God. And as long as they stayed in God, they walked in His wisdom and in His discernment. Are you following me? But because of their rebellion and their unwillingness to submit to God's authority, the weight and the responsibility of reason was placed upon mankind. But here's the thing. Through the cross, that which happened at Genesis has been reversed. And therefore, it is God's will for us to get back to a place in Him where we once again walk in accordance to His will and His reason and not what we think is right or wrong. For it's the reasoning of our minds that brings about the greatest difficulty when trying to accomplish the will of God. Watch this. Genesis chapter 9 verse 20. And Noah began to be a husbandman. And he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine. And he was drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, this is his boy, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Jephthah took a garment, laid it both upon their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be a servant. And God shall enlarge Jephthah, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. So here's the point. Noah got drunk, passed out naked in his tent. His son, Ham, saw him and started telling the rest of the family about it. He started disgracing his father. And telling everybody about his father's weakness and about his father's failure. Are you with me? When Noah woke up and realized what had happened, he placed a curse upon the boy. Why? Because all authority comes from God. So when Ham was reviling and rebelling and tearing his familial authority down, he ultimately was rebelling and reviling against the authority of God himself. Because all authority comes from God. And he was punished because of it. But here's what I want you to see. Did he not have good reason for what he did and what he said? If you're looking at it from a reasoning standpoint, was his father not drunk? Was he not passed out naked in a tent for all who cared to see? Was Ham making any of it up? It was all true. He was not making a bigger deal about it than what it really was. He didn't expound on it. He, did. he stated the facts. All of what he said, somebody's got to get this. All of what he said was absolutely a true according to reason. 
but we are not judged and we are not tested upon that which is reasoned in our minds. And we are not tested and judged upon that which is reasoned within our human understanding. We are tested upon our willingness to submit to authority. For it all comes back to submission to authority. We can tell it just like it happened and be absolutely wrong. We can speak about it of things that we have seen with our very own eyes and not expound on it or make it bigger than what it really is and be judged because of it. Because it's not about what we've reasoned. It's not about what we've thought through. It's all about submission. Submission. Let me show you again. Numbers chapter 12 verse 1. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. Understand, Moses was their authority. And, and she was speaking against him. And God hears her and God calls her to the tabernacle where he deals harshly with her. In fact, look at what the, Bible, look at what the book says. Numbers 12 and 10. And when he got done dealing with her, the Bible says, And the cloud departed, the glory of God departed from off the tabernacle. And behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. God judged her, and she became a leper. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Now Moses comes back, prays unto God, and God says, okay, and he heals her. But God judged her for her unsubmitted heart and her rebellious attitude. But the question is this. Didn't Moses marry a woman who was not of their people? What Did she say anything that was wrong? Did she say anything that was a lie? No. But truth be known, my friend, reasoning and submission cannot go hand in hand. And even though what she said, she had it thought through and reasoned out, but it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with submission to authority. Hallelujah. Truth be known, Miriam was jealous of her brother Moses. For he was the leader of the people of God. And, and he had more authority than she did. And out of jealousy, she used reason to try to tear down authority. And that's exactly what I'm trying to show us tonight. The act of reasoning is that which was perpetuated by the fall of man. And it only makes sense that that which sin orchestrated would be that which a jealous individual and a rebellious individual would later use in order to rebel against authority. For when it comes to godly things, and when it comes to godly principles, and when it comes to spiritual matters, you cannot have both human reasoning and true submission at the same time. You can't have it. Because human reasoning will always rebel against what God desires to do. Always. Now I know there's some... Is this alright? There's some who's probably thinking about the verse where the Lord says... Come, let us reason together. So let's look at that verse for a moment. Isaiah 1.16. The Lord speaking, he says this. Wash you, 
make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. First off, look at what, look at who it is that he's talking to. He's talking to those who have spiritually made themselves clean in the sight of God. Those who have stopped doing that which was evil. Those who were uh, doing that which was well in their lives. Relieving the oppressed from their burdens. Helping the fatherless. Pleading for the widows. That was the kind of person that God was talking about. He's not talking to the rebellious. He's not talking to the proud. Or those who are only after themselves. He's talking to those people. And look at what he says. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Verse 18. Come. Now let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That is what he's telling them to reason about. That's what he's telling them to ponder on. He said, put your mind to thinking and reasoning concerning the fact that if you do away with that which is evil, I will wash you white as snow. He said, think about that for a while. Ponder that. Let's reason together on the, on the fact that if you learn to do well, then your sins, which are crimson, shall be white as wool. Think about how great of a God I am to do that in your life, to forgive you of your sins, to wash all your sins away. He said, let's talk about that for a while. Let's reason on that. Why don't you just sit down for a minute and just start to think about the glory of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness forgiveness of God and the grace of God. Just ponder those things for a moment. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, read, let's read, let's think about that for a while. For the next verse says this, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 19. If you be willing and what? Obedient. You shall, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and what? Rebel you're going to be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. That's the reasoning that God had with them. The, let's reason, let's reason. Okay, here's the reasoning God had with them. He said, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. If you disobey me, you'll be cursed. That's the reasoning right there. That's it. He didn't ask them. Now, let's talk about this. I say if you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, you'll be cursed. But what do you think? Let's reason. Let's talk about this. Let's discuss this. Let's sit down. I'd like to pick your brain upon what it is that I just talked to you about. He didn't, no, he said, he said, this is the way it is. And then he says, for the mouth of the Lord... Have spoken it. I don't care what you say. Is what God is saying. It doesn't matter if you agree or you disagree. 
We're not going to sit down on two little chairs and get some cups of coffee and, re <clears throat> excuse my voice tonight, and reason this thing out. He said, I spoke it. It left my mouth. <laughs> and whatever leaves my mouth is true and right and law. And you can reason all you want to reason, but it's not going to change the fact that what I spoke is reality. If the Lord has spoken it, that should be all that we need in order to be obedient to it. That's it. That is the only thing we need. It all goes back to authority. It all goes back to submission. I understand your authority. And so therefore, if you speak it, I'm submitted to it. In Leviticus chapters 18, 19, and 20, don't worry, we're not going to read all of them. But look it up when you get home. We find the Lord laying down the law, laying down the principles, laying down the precepts that he wanted his people to live by and live accordingly to. And he starts listing them. And he's, he says, list this one. Then he talks about this one. And don't do this. And do, and do this. And don't follow after this. But follow after this. One after another after another. He lists them. But, but all throughout these this, this commandments, he inserts a phrase constantly. And that phrase was this. Let, let me just pull a, a few verses. Watch Leviticus chapter 19, verse 11. We'll start there. Ye shall not steal, neither deal falsely, neither lie one to another. And ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor, neither rob your neighbor. The wages of him that is hired shall not abide with thee all night until morning. Thou shalt not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shalt fear thy God. I am the Lord. Ye shall do no unrighteous in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. But in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among the people. Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. And on and on he goes, Brother Newton, and he lists the thing, and he tells him, don't do this, do this, act this way. I want you to do this. And then he'll stop and he'll say, I am the Lord. Do this, 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 I am the Lord. To those who wanted reasoning, for that which God was calling them to do. He simply says, here's your reason. I am the Lord. I am the Lord your God. You want me to explain myself? No. I say, I am the Lord your God. And that should be all the reason we need in order to place ourselves under the authority and the rule of whatever the word of God and the voice of God can speak into our lives. Our obedience is based upon one fact and one fact alone. And that's simply because he is the Lord and he's asked us to do it. That's it. That is it. But this is where the problem arises for most Christians, for all Christians. For there are two types of Christians, those who live in the level of reason and those who live in the level of authority. And we can know what level we're at by our response to the word of the Lord as it goes forth into our lives. 
However we respond to the word of God in our lives, that's how we'll know if we're on the level of, 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 of reason or the level of authority. For when God commands something to us, do we stop and consider the matter to see if there be sufficient reason for us to be obedient to it? I'm making sense? God speaks it. The word of God goes forth in our life. Read the word of the Lord, whatever it is. And God speaks that. And we ponder it, not just to ponder the truths, not just to meditate upon them, but we ponder it to see if there is sufficient reasoning in our minds to be obedient to it. Do we hear the voice of God? whether it be through the preaching, the teaching of the word of the Lord or through a still small voice of conviction or, or course correction in our lives and filter it through human reasoning of that which we think and that which we believe. For if so, then reasoning will be that which governs our lives and not God. This is so important. No, we're tired today. We've worked hard to understand it, but this is, this is important today. If everything God speaks to us, we filter through the reasoning of our minds, then our lives will be governed by our reasoning and not God. Therefore, everything that God has appointed and everything that God has ordained for us has to pass through our reason and our judgment and what we think. And if it seems good to us, we accept it. But if it doesn't seem good to us, we reject it. Therefore, because of our reasoning, we get to the place where we are thinking on behalf of God. And deciding what it is that God should be thinking in our lives. You see how dangerous this is? And if this is what's taking place, then we should see that it is nothing but a trick of Satan himself. For it is none other than Satan himself who desired to be like God. Oh, hallelujah. Here's the thing. When you've truly submitted yourself to God's authority, because it all goes back to authority. When you've truly submitted yourself to God's authority... And you see God's authority for what it really is. You would be and I would be extremely hesitant to argue against him. Or to reason against him. And if we're not hesitant to do so, it's because we truly don't understand his authority. When we understand that God sits on the throne of glory and he has all power in his hands and he pulls up kingdoms and he sets down kingdoms and he raises up mountains and he presses down valleys and the son obeys his command. When we understand his authority, then we understand who am I? To argue or reason against him. Who am I? Look at what the book says. Romans chapter 9 verse 11. For the children, 
being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to the election, might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. He said unto her, the elders shall serve the younger. As it is written, watch what it says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Notice, notice. He says, Jacob have I loved and Esau has I, have I hated. Jacob was the liar. Jacob was the deceiver. Jacob was the con artist. And that's the one God loved. Let me tell you something. Reason and submission cannot go hand in hand. He simply asks us to submit ourselves to authority. Simply because we are not God. And he is. That's all. That's it. That's the reason. That's the reason. Watch, watch what he says. Watch what he says. Uh, Romans chapter 9. Uh, let's, let's go here. Verse 21. Romans chapter 9 verse 21. He says, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? In other words, can the clay decide if it's going to be made into something that's beautiful and ornate to sit up on some pretty place and everybody oozing and awes over it? Or if it's made into some rough pot for pulling water out of a dirty well? Does the, does the clay have any choice in that at all? No. It is completely up to the potter to decide that. And God is trying to get us to the place of obedience and submission where we no longer filter all that God desires to do through us and in us through our lens of reason and simply get to the point where we trust that our loving God will do that which is the most loving thing in our lives. And therefore, we are going to submit totally and completely to his authority. Oh, hallelujah. But the only way we can get to that place is when we truly understand the totality of God's authority in our lives. That's it. We can only get to that place when we understand that we are the clay and he is the potter. The only way we get to this point is to come to the revelation that just a glimpse, and I wish I was teaching better tonight, but just a glimpse of a fraction of his glory would send us to our knees. That's the only way we'll understand this stuff I'm talking about tonight. Moses just saw where the glory of God had been. He didn't even see the glory of God. Just where it had passed by. And the Bible says his face shone like the sun. For when you see him as all-powerful, when you see him as all-knowing and as all-sufficient, 
the God who rules all space and time, who has all power in heaven and in earth. That is when you very quickly begin to lay your reasons down. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm, I'm putting that one down. And then you get further revelation of his authority. Okay. Let me get rid of that one now. And then you get further revelation of his authority, and you, one by one, you begin to lay all of your thoughts down and all of your reasoning down and everything you think down and all of your arguments against his word down. But it takes revelation. When you get close enough to him to experience the greatness of who he is, and experience his authority. Not in its fullness because we couldn't handle its fullness. But just get a revelation of his authority. Not just crying a few tears. Not just running the aisles. Not just clapping hands. Not just talking in tongues for a few moments. But really getting close enough to him where you get a revelation of his authority. That's when the lenses of our intellect that have been filtering everything through begin to be taken off. And we simply submit ourselves to God who knows us better than we even know ourselves. And what I'm learning through all of this, and I'm hurrying, what I'm learning through all of this is that when I see someone who is haughty and when I see someone who is prideful and when I see someone who's arrogant, or when I see someone who's always talking about their thoughts and their ideas and their concepts and what they've come up with in their own reasonings and what they think and what they did and what, what all this stuff about. That's when I realize that those individuals are living far away from God. That's what I'm learning through all of this, even for myself. For all of our arguments fade away. In the light of his glory. All of them. And the more a person lives in the light of God's glory, the less a person will be bound by what they think and by what their reasoning is. For let me, if, if you haven't learned this, let me just tell you. Sister Candy, come on up. God, hear, hear this. God often acts without reason that is comprehensible to us. He's always got it perfect will. It's perfect. But he often acts without reason, Sister Bobby, that we can understand. And even though we might not understand, we still worship him. Because our worship is not based upon we, what we understand about God. Our worship is based simply on the fact that he is God. Not that we've reasoned all about and came to this conclusion and came to some kind of middle ground with him. But because we have humbled ourselves to his authority. And we've understood that he is God and we are not and we worship him. Had I understood, and I'm done, had I understood all of his ways, then I myself would be sitting on his throne. 
But once I see how far above me that he really is and that he alone is God, that's when we prostrate ourselves in dust and ashes and we throw ourselves on our face and we get every bit of reasoning for who am I to speak against him? Who am I to question him? Who am I to, to reason and argue against his book and against his word and against what he's asking me to do? And, and I feel the Holy Ghost now. God is speaking to people and God is speaking to lives and God is speaking to hearts. And he's saying, I want you to do this and I want you to do this. And I want you to cut away this. And I want you to live this way. And I'm, I'm putting some convictions in your life. And I'm speaking some words into your life. And I'm asking you to do some things. And it's tough. And it's hard. And the problem that we get into is when we begin to reason with God. And we say, well, God, why don't we, why don't we get something worked out? And when this happens, I'll do this. And when this happens, I'll do that. And I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do this. And it's reason, and it's reason, and it's reason. And God's commandments are filtered through our thinking. And God's commandments are filtered through what we think and what we desire and what we want and what we think is right and what we think is the most opportune thing for our lives or our relationships or our homes or, or our future or our will or whatever it is. And God is saying, no, 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 no. You do not understand what I'm talking about. I want you to do these things and I want you to be submitted to my will and just do them because I am God and I'm telling you to do them. But we will never, ever get to that place until we seek after an understanding of authority. Because if you don't understand how much authority he has, then you think that you can butt up against it. Am I making sense? If you don't understand how awesome he is and how mighty he is, then you think you can stand up against that God. And you can say, but I want to do this. Or I want to act this way. Or I want to make this decision. Let's think about this, God. Are you sure? You really sure you got that figured out right? Because when I put it through my lens, it doesn't make sense. And when I put it through my filter, it doesn't all add up. And that's just not the way I've always thought it should be. You see, God, I've always had this thing worked out for my life and how my life was going to work out. And I had A and B and C and 1 and 2 and 3. And I had this whole thing. I've reasoned it all through. And what you're, man, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. God, what you are speaking to me does, <clears throat> does not mesh with what I think. And it's going to mess everything up. And it's going to throw, throw it all out of whack. God says, no. Do it. But why, God? I don't have to tell you why. I'm God. That should be enough. I am supreme authority in your life. That should be all you need to know. If we understand submission, that should be all we need to know from God. Is that easy? No. Can we get there overnight? Absolutely not. But it all goes to an understanding that says, 
I want to seek a greater revelation of God's authority. There are things in my life that I did not understand, that I did not comprehend until I got a revelation of God's holiness. When I had a revelation of the holiness of God, there were some things that just fell into place. And I had no issues and problems and struggles with at all. None. Because I got a revelation of the holiness of God. And I didn't seek after man's rules and I didn't seek after this. And I didn't seek after, you know, why and reason and, and, and this and this and this and this and this. I sought after his holiness. And when I got that, everything else made sense. What we're talking about tonight is the same thing. It's another characteristic of God, and it's his authority. That there's so many things that we're butting up against, and we're fighting against, and we're struggling against, and it's like we're playing tug-of-war with God about this, and tug-of-war with God about that, and we live one way, and we come to the house of God, and we hear something taught or preached or whatever, and we're struggling. We butt up against it. We fight, and it's this, it's this continual struggle within us, and God's saying, you know what? If you'd stop reasoning, if you'd stop going out and buying the latest book on the subject and trying to figure this out, whatever, if you would just focus on getting a revelation of who I am, if you would get a revelation of the authority that rests within me, you'd have no problem submitting in that area. You would have no, think for just a moment, just for just a moment, I, you know, if, if we would all die, but if just a fraction of God's glory could just, for just a second, Sister Candy, just in this place, something physical that we would see. Now, it shouldn't take that. It should, what we see felt Sunday should, should be all that it should take. But if just a fraction of the tone, if just a fraction of the glory presence of God, the authority of his power would flash before our eyes. There would be not a one of us that would not be on our faces in this room. Not a one of us. And there would be not a one of us who would leave this place saying, well, but I just still don't know about this. And I just don't know about that. And I just don't know about this. And I, and I still think this. And I still think there would not be a one of us, Sister Vivian. Not a one. Because it comes to an understanding of his authority. Oh, hallelujah. You remember back in school you'd have substitute teachers? And maybe it wasn't in your class, but it was always in, in my class. When there was a substitute teacher, I mean, it was like chaos in the room. Remember? Why? Why was it different? It was different because as a student, you understood the authority. Your, your, your teacher had established authority in the room. You, you, you had revelation of their authority, and it kept you in line, and you did the rules, and you did what you were supposed to do. But when a substitute came in, there was no established authority. You didn't know it. You didn't understand it. Am I right about it, Sister Lucretia? 
That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking, I'm talking about a life that understands, God, I've got to understand your authority. Are you the most supreme being in my life? Or are you just somebody I talk to on Sundays and Thursdays? Hallelujah. And when we understand, I'm done. But when we understand, Stand that God's authority is the most important thing in our life. We get a revelation of that authority. We have no problem submitting to whatever he asks us to do. No problem. Sure. I'll do that. Sure. I'll go there. Sure. I'll give. Sure. I'll live that way. I'll whatever. I have no problem. Is your authority. And I submit to your will. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's lift our hands in his presence. Can we just lift our hands in his presence.